It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the Bengals post-game edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports commerce and editor with Rick Boring. And it's presented, as always, by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. Bengals with a 34-11 win today in Detroit, Rick. It wasn't pretty at times. We'll get into all of the details of it. But it was a, a a really convincing win in the end where we all thought, hey, just go to Detroit, don't lose, make sure you win. Not only did they win, they won in an extraordinarily convincing fashion. It was a boring game. And from a Bengals fan's <laughs> perspective, that was really nice. It was nice to see them take care of business. You know, that kind of felt like the main takeaway from this game is the Bengals all of a sudden are at this point out of nowhere this season where they feel like a team that doesn't beat themselves anymore. You know, I mean, they had a few penalties early on that I'm sure we'll talk about when discussing the the first half offense, but you know, it's not the type of mistakes the lions were making throughout the entirety of the game with false starts and delay of games and things where you're not even giving yourself a chance. And you just look, unorganized and not prepared. You know, the Bengals didn't play down to their competition today. They didn't do it against the Steelers when the Steelers stunk against them either. So far this year, they're a team that's taking care of business against the teams they should take care of business against. What's amazing is the two most convincing wins of the season have come on the road um, at Pittsburgh by two touchdowns. And it arguably should have been, could have been, would have been more. And today, where they just dominated the Lions after it was seven nothing late in the first half. Bengals going that four four you know four drives uh, scoring situation, and the Lions basically have to kick a field goal to avert a shutout, and they get a touchdown against backups. So that 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 to me is impressive. And so I said this tonight on the Sports Authority on Local Twelve. So I'll say it here. I, I think the Bengals have turned the corner of they're not losing to the bad. They're kind of in the middle, moving forward. Now can you beat the good? They've competed with the good, which was Green Bay. Can you go beat the good? And that comes up this week. That's going to come up in two weeks even more so. I'm not expecting to beat the good on the road, Rick. I'm not expecting them to go to Baltimore next week and win. But I am expecting them in a way now to beat Cleveland at home in three weeks, right before the bye, right? Yeah, it feels like a game that they have a chance to win for certain. And, And really, even that game... In Baltimore, I mean, I was surprised when the line came out already tonight for next week's game, and the Less Bengals are only a six-point underdog. I would have assumed it would have right. been outside right. that seven-point number. So uh, they're definitely getting some respect with with what they've done, you know, from the computers in Vegas, uh, and I think around the league, people are starting to take notice of them. But you're right; the next step is proving you can go out and beat a good team, and then maybe you know the conversations about this year's Bengals team gets really interesting, but. From just this win, the 34-11 win here, and what they've done to this point to get to 4-2, and two, you do have to give Zach Taylor some credit here because they are sure. they look like a legit team. They, they don't look like the Bungles anymore. And from any fan that's been watching this team for the last couple of decades, even when things got pretty good with Marvin Lewis, there was still some of that they beat themselves stuff going on and some undisciplined stuff going on. And part of that was because of the personnel they had in the locker room. He's gotten them to a point where they don't have those types of guys on this team anymore. They, this is a group that understands how to win. And that looks like a business like team out there. No, the, the only 
play today that was Keystone Coppish was that crazy bunch set to the right where three wide receivers. Yeah. You and you you and yeah. I are basketball. You and I are basketball guys, right? So we know about pick the picker. We know pick the picker, right? That looked like pick the pick the pick the picker, and nobody knew who the picker was, and nobody knew who to pick. And that was a mess. You got to admit that play was a mess, and that was I even I you, I think you liked my tweet if I remember right. It was a, it was a WFT. What in the world were the Bengals doing on no, that play? No, WFT um, is Washington Football Team. You did a WTF. WTF. I'm sorry. Yeah, WTF. I did a WTF. Yeah, sorry. I'm trying to make sure I keep this family friendly. Yeah, You're yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I mean, like I said, we all know the basketball plays of pick the picker. I don't know who was supposed to pick who and why they were supposed to pick them and why they were supposed to pick them. That was a mess. Yeah, I can't remember who the receiver on that one. It might have been Izama, but they ran no, into I, Tyler I, I, Boyd, whoever I, I, it was. Yeah, I had, I had somebody that, that, that and he was serious and he wasn't mean, but he he tweeted me back and he said, I think Higgins was the receiver on that play. And I'm like, okay, sure. I'll take, I, I said, I'll take your word for it. Sure. That, okay. I, I think, I think that's right. I think it was Higgins trying to go out and he ran into Boyd who was going to try to set this, basically the pick play for Ooh. him. And yeah, it was just a disaster. But Burrow actually made the correct hot read there. I think yes, correct. he just had to get the ball out too quickly yes. for them to, to yes. get out of each other's yeah. ways. But that, but that, but that looked bungle like, but other than that, no, you're right. It, it, most of it didn't. There were some penalties on Trey Hill early that we may talk about that were a little troublesome. And then to the kid's credit, he comes back in after Jackson Carmen goes out sick. And guess what? Did you notice him the rest of the game? No. And, and I mean, you really shouldn't have in this game and, and what was no, going right. on, but you're right. He, he was, he was fine. I thought after that, you brought up that fourth quarter field goal that the lions kicked. And at, at first it felt like they were just trying to avoid a, a shutout and they end up scoring the touchdown later, but right. Watching them kick that fourth quarter field goal in a 27 nothing game with 8.36 to play. I know where you're going with this. Go ahead. I I, I know exactly where you're going with this. Go. It, it was the thank God it's not us anymore moment. From, yes. From, as a yes. perspective. I mean, that, that felt like such a Marvin Lewis moment right there that it was like, oh, God, finally, that's not us doing that. And no. that, that felt great. Rick, I, I wish I could remember the game off the top of my head. Remember last year, Zach did that, I think, it at Pittsburgh, I believe. Yeah, it just feels like it's happened so many times for the for the Bengals for the last several years, where it's like right. you, you're you know what's going on. They're literally just trying to avoid the shutout, so afterwards they can say, "Well, we had some positive momentum going in the second that's half right. there with that that's drive, right. and that's all it was." No. And and then right after that, he does the onside. I mean, it's just a, it's a it's a clown move right there. No one is fooled by that in your locker room. No one is like, "Oh yeah, coach, we we really had We're him on the ropes hard. there right. after that right. field goal." No, Good work. Right. Right. But no, that's the big that there's where we're at now. That's the Lions. The Lions are the Bengals of the last couple of years. And the Bengals are now in that way. I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it of that playoff caliber team mode. Can they finish it off? I don't know, because the second half is just so hard and you've still got two really hard games before the bye and a winnable game at the Jets. The, the funny part was there, there was a there was a um, a narrative this week with players and Zach Taylor of make sure you don't overlook the 0-5 team and um, how convincing does your win need to be? And Zach said, and he's right, I don't care if we win 3 nothing, 7-6, or 42-41, just want to win. And he's right. But when you win like this, you go, huh, this team's pretty good maybe. Not great. No, by no means great. By no means do I think this team goes through the playoffs and wins a Super Bowl. But now I go, and we talked about this last week, I think this team's pretty good. It establishes a certain baseline when right. you control a team like this and you dominate, you make a game boring and it's never in question. It does establish a certain level of competence that you have. And it, quite honestly, in Cincinnati, 
we haven't seen it all that frequently for a while. So it is a different level. And, and Zach Taylor deserves credit for the guys that he's brought in to get to this point, the development in a lot of ways. There are a lot of things going right in the Zach Taylor era right now that he deserves credit for yes, to get them to four and two. But it doesn't absolve everything. There are still no, some question right. marks that we've talked about, and they're fair to bring up. But after today's game, he is four and two. The Vegas over-under before the season for win totals was six and a half for this team. Yep. We're just six games in. They only need three more to hit that over. So, I mean, if you would have told us they were going to be in this position, we wouldn't have ruled it out entirely. But you certainly have to tip your cap to, to them for getting to this point. Let's talk about the obvious from this game, which was that the Lions weren't very good and their play calling was even worse. But the Bengals defense was outstanding. Outstanding. I'm not going to beat a dead horse to this, but I've talked about them all year. I've, I've thought since training camp, this, this unit has a chance to be great. They weren't great against Green Bay, but they were damn good. And and even the long run by Aaron Jones, that was a Von Bell. And dude, you know this, it happens. Von Bell misses a tackle two yards deep, had him for a two yard loss. Jesse Bates misses a tackle. How many times on a, how many times do those guys ever miss a tackle A? And how many times do they miss a tackle on the same play B, right? So that, that run of 59 yards or whatever it was got them over 100. The run defense is extraordinarily good. And now you look, and, and, and this is the part I think I brought up, and, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but you can certainly correct me on this. You've got guys who make plays at all levels. You've got Trey Hendrickson making plays off the edge. You've got Logan Wilson making all kinds of plays now with four interceptions in the middle of the defense. I don't know about corners making plays, so I guess I can't go that far. I thought Awuzie was pretty good. I but no, no, but, but no, but but no, but I'm, I'm talking about making plays like making turnover plays or making chunk play. No, but the bottom line is, but you guys got got guys on the back end that don't give up anything. They don't, and that's the thing for me. I mean, did you notice Eli Apple today? And again, I know it's Detroit. They're not very good. They have no downfield threats. They, they only you, targeted did, him one time. Right? Did you notice Eli Apple today? No, you did not. I mean, that's the point to me is on all the levels. You got dudes who can not only make plays, or not only play, but can make plays. And that's the big difference. Trey Hendrickson's been great. Logan Wilson's been great. You give me a front seven of a couple guys, and the, and the tackles have been great. You don't see that in the stats all the time. But when you've got your front seven of three or four or five of the seven going, damn, that's a good group. I don't even know what's happening on the back end. I don't even care because you're not getting to the back end. And they keep doing that. I'm glad you brought that up because that is the one thing that really jumped out at me today while I was watching the defense is it's not just, okay, Jesse Bates is a, a real standout there at the right. back of your defense. Right. And, 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 and no offense. Like and that, that's like not, and, that, and that's not good. I mean, no. it's great that he's doing it, but it's not good. Exactly. I mean, you could see it's like, okay, yeah, there's a star player out there and he, and that's great that he's out there, but this defense is not good. That's what I found myself saying a lot last year. Today, you watch that game. DJ Reader stuffing the run a couple different times and, and really just filling holes, demanding double teams. I mean, he is a guy in the middle of that front seven that just anchors everything, it seems like, against the run and frees everybody else up to make plays. Then, like you talked about, on the edge, you've got Hendrickson. I thought Hubbard had a nice player, too, he where he, yep. he doesn't stand out. But, I mean, he, he's in position a couple different times where he comes up big. And then Logan Wilson, you've been harping on that one. He is a legit top of the... NFL type playmaker in the middle yeah, of your is. defense all of a sudden. Yeah, he and, is. and I mean, then you've got Von Bell, who was good again today. I thought uh, Bates again, Awuzie, I thought had, you know, he had a lot of different tackles there in the open field where he was just very sure handed with his tackling. So I agree. It was at all levels. You had guys that if not standouts, 
were at least doing their job at a very high level and just very solid all the way around. So that was fun to watch. Holding the Lions to 228 yards of total offense, just 36 rushing yards in the game. I mean, that's pretty ridiculous stuff right there. Yeah, and 36 yards on 18 carries, that's two yards a pop. And you mentioned the yardage that they had. You know how many yards they had through three quarters? You know how many first downs they had through three quarters before it got to slop time? And you got to admit, it got to slop time, right? And no oh, yeah. offense I mean, they to the took guys the starters in a, out in a lot. Correct, correct. Positions. They took them out for the last drive. The last touchdown drive was Joe Batchy playing linebacker. Not knocking Joe Batchy. I get it. And I for it felt like a preseason game in the fourth quarter. You know how many yards the Lions had through three quarters? How many first downs? Hit me. 95 yards and five first downs. Yeah, it felt like yeah. it. Yeah, pretty good. They were completely dominated. So, I mean, the, the defense, we felt good about them for a while now, I think, with this team, but they just continue to smother some of the, the bad offenses and the play calling that's unimaginative, like we saw today from the Lions. That was good to see them control the game like that. On the flip side, you go over to the Bengals' offense, and Skinny, it was an interesting first half because it was kind of the reverse of what we normally see with the Bengals' offense, where they really start slow and then pick it up and get those drives right before the end of the half. They got the early touchdown drive with a great check at the line by Joe Burrow, finding Chris Evans on that little well, great pass play. down the sideline. Great play, great adjustment, and Chris Evans ran a nice route, made a nice catch. Joe was praising him after the game. They get that early touchdown, and then everything just disappears all of a sudden. It seems like they couldn't get anything going. They had some costly penalties that set them back a little bit. You had the turnover. What did you see the rest of the first half with the offense? Well, th this carries over to the second half, too. So you're right. So the penalties, and Trey Hill had two of those. I mean, Trey Hill, remember, he had a holding penalty that wiped out an 18-yard gain. I believe to T. Higgins, it would have been a first down. And then he had a false start. So he turns around from an 18-yard gain to 15 yards in penalties. And that's a big, big, I mean, do the math on it yourself. I mean, that's 38 yards in differential. And then the Bengals had to punt. And then they went three and out a bunch. And one of the three and outs, if you remember, they were in empty and Joe Burrow got sacked off of a free runner. I mean, nobody picked him up. Uh, some of it was miscommunication. Riley Reef blocked down and the free runner came around him. So I'm, I'm not blaming him. I'm, I'm just telling you that's where it came from. And then from that point forward, they get that last, you know, the last part of the half where you just, hey, Jamar Chase, go deep and let's throw it to you. And they did. And then in the second half, they went back to what I love, which is Joe Burrow under center. I don't care if you run, I don't need three tight ends. I don't need two tight ends. You could get him under center and play three wides and play Joe Mixon and let him run downhill in the wide zone scheme. And guess what? They started doing that. And who had success? Joe Mixon had success. And then we have play action passes. And then you have play actions into the intermediate to T. Higgins. And then you have a play action pass down the field to Jamar Chase for a 50 plus yard gain again. That's what they do best. I want them to do that more. I get jumping in an empty every once in a while. And they, to their credit, and I said this tonight on TV, Rick, when I did the segment, I don't remember them going empty after Joe Burrow got sacked. I don't, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Please do. I really and truly don't remember them going empty after that. It was almost like, huh, all right, I know Joe likes this, but we're not good at this. And so let's go do what we do best. Let's go under center, wide zone, play action. Let's let Joe do some things. And, I mean, even the fourth down play was under center. Fake pitch to Joe Mixon. Throw it in the flat. Joe Mixon runs for a bunch of yards and then runs it for a touchdown. That, to me, was, I think you found your identity, Zach. Stay with it, man. Stay with it. 
And credit again to Zach Taylor for this because it's something he talks about that he really likes is deferring when they win that coin toss, which they seem yeah. to win every yes, day and I think, week. And I agree with that. I think you're right about that part. And, for sure. and it worked out for him again. They get the end of the half field goal after the long pass to chase, which I think a lot of people are sitting there watching that and go, are we taking crazy pills? Or does it seem like every time you lob the ball up to him, you get a big chunk play, but that's neither here nor there. They do that. They get the field goal to end the first half. Then they go on that eight play 75 yard drive that takes up the first four and a half minutes of the second half. And that's where they got down to the fourth and one play that you were talking about. I think a lot of people felt that was the turning point in the game. And it really stood out for me. It gave me some hope, I guess, from a Zach Taylor perspective for two reasons. One, he went for it instead of attempting a 57-yard field goal in that situation, which is kind of what I was expecting right there. He went for it on fourth and one in plus territory. No, and the, I, I, I will say I thought he was going to go for it. I thought all along he was going to go for it. I really did. But I, I get you. You're right. I'm, I'm glad he did. And then two, something that I've been asking for a lot that we saw on that play, which is you put Sample in motion going right to left. You put Higgins in motion going right to left right before the snap. You fake the jet sweep, and then you throw the quick screen pass out to Mexen off the boot. Like a little misdirection, a little bit of pre-snap motion to get the defense moving, and it opens everything up. And then credit to Jamar Chase because his speed on that oh, play to get out ahead silly. there and make that block was incredible. I mean, not just not just the speed, the physicality of the block. That was the part to me that was outstanding. He just went, you know what? I'm a big, strong dude. I'm going to truck you. And he did. And, and that was awesome. And, and like just the fact that he wanted to be physical and, and get himself involved in a yes. play for someone else to help spring them for a touchdown when it was already going to be an easy first down and a big game anyway. That shows a lot of unselfishness. But yes. there are very few guys in the NFL who could have got out in front of Joe Mixon on that play and made that block. I mean, the speed alone to get there in position coming from where he came from on the left side of the field was just unbelievable. It's so funny to watch. Dude, I, I watched John Ross for four years. And when John Ross ran, you go like, dude, that dude's so fast. I've never watched Jamar Chase run and go, man, that dude's so fast. It's almost effortless, right? It's almost like it's a weird gear. He's got He's got this weird body type where he's... He's not very big. I mean, he's big enough, but he's not very tall. He's he's kind of he's kind of I don't want to say stocky. He's, he's he's thick. He's built strong, and yet when he turns the gear on, it's absurd. John Ross looked fast when he ran. You're like, oh my gosh, that looked like he was running fly. hard. Yeah. Yes. Jamar Chase looks like it's yeah, I can glide and I can go here to there and I'll beat you to here to there. It's crazy to watch. It really is. Well, it is. And because he has this extra gear and you see it a lot. Yes. when Like the ball is in the air when the ball's being thrown to him. He's step for step with the defensive back. And all of a sudden, when the ball's in the air, he all of a sudden takes a five yard stride away from the from the defender. Yes. You're like, wait, how the hell did he just hit that next gear when they'd been running stride for stride for so long? You're right. He he has a different speed to him. It's that weird. looks different. Yeah, but it's it's weird. But by the way, who's the better blocker today, Jamar Chase or Penny Sewell? <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that joke a lot on. Twitter. I did too. I did too. I did um, too. I had to bring. I had to bring it up just because. Yeah, it's team. It's team Chase versus team Sewell, right? Yeah, and, and let's talk about that real quick because sure. I mean, a lot of ways bringing up those two and comparing them, everything is, is silly a lot. But today, you got a very clear cut example of why. The Bengals made the right choice, taking yeah, a did. first round offensive lineman, not because he's Panay Sewell versus Jamar Chase, but just in general, because 
it's really hard to be a difference maker as a rookie offensive lineman, no especially question. if you're being asked to play left tackle. And no the Bengals needed a difference maker to help Joe Burrow out. Now, that doesn't absolve them because they made the right pick, doesn't absolve them from not properly using all these weapons that they've stockpiled now. They still have to do a better job of that. And we can criticize them for that. No, but agreed. they made the right pick. Yeah, and that's that was the part for me all along. And I, I wrote that piece back in January after the season was over, kind of looking ahead. And I got a lot of criticism for it because everybody wanted the offensive lineman, and I fully understand it. But rookie offensive linemen just don't make a difference in this league. Hell, Penny Sewell in three years, you may go, well, you whiffed on that pick. Yeah, maybe. But they Zach Taylor needed to have somebody that made a difference for him now. And then the fact that they went out and got Riley Reef kind of changed the narrative a little bit of at least to address the tackle spot. And, and I feel for Penny Sewell because Penny Sewell was slotted to be a right tackle. Taylor Decker got hurt the left tackle and they flipped him to left. Um, and he's just not very comfortable. And I mean, you all you had to do is put the tape on in the first quarter and Trey Hendrickson just abused that kid. I mean, he just abused him. And again, we may revisit this in five years and go, yeah, boy, Jamar Chase, he's pretty good. And boy, Penny Sewell's now the next Anthony Munoz. I don't think we're going to do that. But, I mean, we might. But for right now, six games in, it's not even a debate any longer what the right pick was, right? Well, yeah, and I think if you ask Jared Goff right now, would you rather have Penny Sewell out there getting cooked by Trey Hendrickson every down? Or 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 would you rather have a weapon to actually throw the ball to because he has none? I think he'd probably tell you he'd like Jamar Chase. So, yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubt about the Bengals' plan. But again, I've always gone back to, they sold me on their plan before they ever made the pick. I was on board with the plan but you still have to use him, you know, he's, and they are, I mean, they are, I'm not trying to act like they're not using Jamar Chase. No, he's putting up great numbers for a rookie receiver, but a lot of the conversation through the first couple of games was if you drafted this guy, then be a more explosive offense with them. Use that to jumpstart the offense a little bit. And I think they're starting to do that, which by the way, you talked about the play action to put some context to that they went 32% of the time on their dropbacks involved a play action fake yeah. in this game, which was by far their most of the season. Joe Burrow was eight for 10 on those play action passes for 128 yards and two of his touchdowns. Was that any good? That's that pretty good. It's decent. And like you said, the, the thing that really gave me some reason for hope and reason for optimism about Zach Taylor evolving as a play caller is You had the play action, but you also had more misdirection, more creative route combinations, like the touchdown to Uzama down at the goal line was a really interesting route combination. It was. Great call. Great call. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. You saw a few different things in this game where they were running some of that bootleg stuff that we've seen a few times. I mean, even going back to last year with this team, but using it in, 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 key situations like that fourth and one play where you you've got the whole defense flowing to the left sending two guys in motion that way you've got a safety and a defensive back both moving from right to left side of the field right before you're snapping the ball that makes it so much tougher to recover and get back to where you're actually taking the ball when you've got guys sprinting the other direction right before you snap it I mean it just it makes sense and it was nice to see them finally use that to their advantage granted it's against a bad team and a a team they were controlling But again, I think you're showing some development there if you're Zach Taylor as a play caller and that you are willing to adjust and learn from some of your mistakes maybe. And if he continues to do that, he's got a lot of other things going in the right direction right now. Yeah, that's the part. I mean, uh, I just hope that they decide after today of, hey, we're really good at going under center. Again, I occasionally empty is fine. Go to it occasionally. And 
you know, today they went to it occasionally. And when he, they did, um, number nine got clobbered, right? Because five-man protections are hard. I mean, those guys rushing the passer are so good. It's hard. Why do you want to ask five guys to block five guys in five-man protections? It's hard. So to me, it's, it's, it's all the window dressing stuff that's really, that's what the Rams are really good at. Um, I, I don't want to revert this back to the Kentucky-Georgia game, but remember the couple drives for Liam Cohen, who came from the Rams, that Kentucky was actually effective against Georgia? I mean, you're, that defense is so silly, it's ridiculous. But it was a lot of, you know, misdirections, yes. fake jet sweeps. Screen the other screen, way. Screen the other way. Just yeah. different, just, just, hey, we're not good enough to beat you, but we can do some window dressing stuff that's going to get you. And I don't think that's a Sean thing. We're not good enough to beat you. It's more, hey, we're going to go this way and you'll go that way and we'll throw it back this way. And that's what I always thought Zach was going to be. That's the part. In fact, the very first training camp, I remember going and going, darn, this is pretty good. I see a bunch of misdirections, boots, um, you know, sprints. I, I see all this stuff that looks really good on paper. And then the first game, they go to Seattle and almost pull off a win. They're doing all the stuff I watched at training camp. And I thought, all right, maybe I'm wrong. Cause I wrote a critical column of Zach getting hired of, he came up a pay grade too high to get hired, but I'm thinking the first game and going, Ooh, okay, you get this. And then from that point forward, it's been, all right, so what are you? And so today I think, I hope they found out and we we're going to talk to Zach tomorrow. And I'm looking forward to it is did you find out who you are, which is, by God, you're under center, you're running wide zone schemes with Joe Mixon, and you're booting, and you're play-action faking, and that's what you are. I know Joe loves five wide, he did it at LSU, but at some point you go, I'm the coach, it's not working, Joe, I know you enjoy it, I know you enjoy looking at defenses going, they have to dictate, but it's not working. Not in this league, it might work in the SEC, it might work in college football, it ain't working at this level. So we'll do it every once in a while just to give them a different look, but we're not doing it very much, and I hope that's where we're at. Because this yeah. offense today, once they got rolling, was really good. Well, and I, I think the empty stuff can still be a part of what they do, especially when they go tempo late in games where you're actually a threat to throw the ball downfield a little bit. The part where I don't think the empty stuff works at all for them is they're unwilling to throw the ball deep when they're doing it. So they're just dinking and dunking, yes, which allows right, the defensive right. secondary right. to just drive forward and really – give Joe some problems with interceptable balls because everyone's just staring at him and you got safeties and linebackers that he's got to take into account in his coverage is a lot more. So it's just tight windows that he's trying to throw in when he's doing that. And they're unwilling to send the ball downfield a little bit more. So late, late in games, late in halves, I think the empty stuff works a little bit better for them, but I'm with you. I mean, this was, and it, the first half was not great. It was, again, it felt like some, very predictable stuff. And yes. part of it was the penalties that set them back a little bit, but they had a stretch there in the first half where it felt like they were just wasting possessions again. In the second half, they were great, but they were going against a really bad team that kind of looked like it had folded up. So I was completely wrong when we did our podcast last week, when we talked about this game previewing it, I said, I think this is a better than most winless NFL teams in no, Detroit they were playing, but they were, but they, but they were, were Rick. but they were maybe the last few weeks, but today they weren't, they were really no. bad today. The, the team, the Bengals played against stunk and they handled them as a result, which is exactly what they should have done. 
So again, one of my least favorite things that coaches do from time to time is they're very stubborn. They're very set in their ways. They want to be hardheaded and say, my way is going to work. We'll figure this out. We've got to execute better. Zach Taylor seems like he is willing to grow and learn from his mistakes and try some new things. It seemed like he showed some of that in the second half today. I'm cautiously optimistic about it. I'm hoping we see more of what they did in the second half, more creativity from their play calling. And again, a lot of times we phrase this as you got to be more aggressive. We talk about throwing the ball to Jamar Chase, and I certainly want more of that. But you know how many times they threw the ball downfield today? Just twice. Two long passes all game, and I was fine with it. One, because they were in the lead, so it didn't call for it. But right. two, it's not all about just taking shots downfield. It's about being a little more creative and using the whole field, using your weapons to make the defense guard you and be less predictable. And today I thought they did a better job of that in the second half. No, I agree with that. And and that's where it goes back to. I just think they're so much better under center. And yes, you're right. You can go empty some, just don't do it much. I just don't like it. I I I love how mummy. I, I I love when he brought all this air raid nonsense to the to the whole world of football where he just said, I'm gonna stick my middle finger up and go, Hey, you guys, you do you, I'm doing me. And it's 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 evolved so much. I mean, it really has. He should be canonized. God love him, but <laughs> You know, an innovator. He was. He really and truly was. He was the most innovative guy I've ever watched on offense. But at some point, you know what you got to do? And he did it too. Got to run the ball a little bit. Don't have to run it a lot. Got to run a little bit. And then when you run it and you run it effectively like they did in the second half, then guess what linebackers have to do? And guess what safeties have to do? And guess what coordinators have to do? Got to walk more guys down in the box. And then when you play pass, and Joe Burrow is so good. I, I wish I had a stat. I don't, Rick, on on his throws on intermediate routes, like like 10 to 17 yards or 10 to 19 yards, whatever you want to call it. He's so good at that. Someone and, had something about this. It might have been pro football focused this week, and it was before today's game, obviously. But I think it said that he was either first or second in the NFL in that intermediate range in terms yeah, of his accuracy. He's really good at it. He just he sees it. And some of it is you have to turn your back to the defense when you play action, right? And that's what a lot of guys don't like. But when he turns his back to the defense because he's play action one way and that's how they see it and they think it's a run, man, when he turns around, he reads it quick and fast and good. And I'm just, I, I want more of that. I think that is arguably the most important throw in football too, is to be able to hit those 10 to 20 yard throws consistently and make them all over the field with quick reads. And you're exactly right. That's probably Burrow's biggest strength. Yeah. And it is his biggest strength. So um, it was a good win today. I, I I liked a lot of things they did. And I think the defense is great. I think Joe made a point of if they keep us in every game, which they do, we have a chance to win a bunch of football games. And I think they do. Two quick questions here before we wrap yep. this up. One, what is your take on Chris Evans as a running back after today's game? Do you think we get to see more opportunities for him after his performance, not only as a playmaker, but also as a blocker? He picked up that big blitz on the one touchdown yep. pass. Yep. No, Chris Franklin asked me the exact same question tonight in the Sports Authority, and I'm going to answer it the same way. I think the fact that he picked that blitz up makes you go, huh, he can do that. Um, he ran the ball well. I don't, I don't know if he's a great runner. He's not big. Right, but his receiving ability is absurd. I mean, he catches balls like a wide receiver. You know, you can look at the first touchdown and go, "Well, nobody covered him because he went around the guy." That's fine, but he had to make a catch. 
It wasn't like a drop in the bucket catch. It was a great catch. And then to pick up the blitz and then run the ball at the end of the game. And this is no knock on Samaj P. Ryan. I think he's the change of pace back you want. And Samaj is the guy that, hey, listen, we want to run the ball in this drive and Joe needs a blow. Then, okay, let's go Samaj. He's physical. I mean, Samaj had a great game against Green Bay, and you'll agree with that, right? Yeah, I um, have no issue with Samaj P. Right, Ryan. No, but no. Chris Evans looks like he might have some juice. I mean, he mu- yes, might be special. Yes. yes. And so that that's the weird part. And that's kind of the goofy part of this league is this guy's better than that guy who's better than that guy. That's fine. And so no knock on Samaje, but you know, he's a special teams guy. That's probably what he's best at. I I think you found Chris Evans' role of, hey, we got to get him a package of plays because he's really good. And he's really good as a receiver. And he can run a little bit. And the, like I said, the reception was ridiculous. It was, it was a hell of a catch, dude. That was a great catch. Skinny, it's a great catch, but at the line of scrimmage, he had the coverage up against him right at the line, and he absolutely yes. shook the cornerback out of his shoes there at the line of scrimmage to get yes. free initially on that route. He, 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 yeah, yeah. he took a step to the right. It was almost like a slug. Yeah, to the like inside. Slant go. Yeah. I don't think it was a slug. I think it was just him making a move. He went, step, gone, see ya. And gone, see ya. And then made a great catch on top of it, so... Yeah, it was just a little false or stutter step there right at the yep. line of scrimmage that he faked hard to the inside and just ran the go route on him, and, and yep. he ran right past him. So I'm in- interested to see him get a little more opportunity. I think it was important, though, with you. that he showed not just that he can catch a pass because they already that he can that, run, but that he block. would be a ball player and pick up the blitz right there and stick his nose in there and make a big hit on a pass rusher. That's the thing that is really going to sell the coaching staff on, okay, we can trust this guy in right. important third-down situations. And and that's right. really where you want to have him on the field is those third downs and use him in the same role you used Giovanni Bernard in right, as correct. a pass catcher out of the backfield. So that's one. The second is Jackson Carmen. He was, I guess, sick before the game, and then he got injured during the game. What's what's the situation with Jackson Carmen and the offensive line depth right now? Yeah, I, I think for him it was um, – he had co- – well, he didn't have COVID, but he came down with the COVID issue during the week, um, got clear on Friday. We asked Zach what he thought. He didn't sound confident they would play. He did not, that which was interesting to me. So he, he didn't sound confident. So it, it was more Trey Hill. So Trey Hill starts. Trey Hill struggles. It was almost like, hey, Jackson, you got to play. And so Jackson goes in and plays. And then he, I, I think it was probably conditioning Rick because, um, you know, he doesn't practice. He doesn't run. He doesn't go through all of that. And no offense, he's a big guy. And so I think that probably hampered him a little bit. And then he got sick because I'm going to guess we've all done it. You've done it. I've done it. I guarantee you, you've done it. I've done it. It's almost like, oh man, I'm not in the shape I want to be in. And that's where we were at. I think that's where we were at with that. He'll be fine. And and like I said, I go back to early in the podcast. I think it was great that Trey Hill came back and played good. So yeah, I mean, he got sick and it's not good. But I, long term, you don't have any concerns no, there about their no, depth no, or where they're, no. they're at for next week. No, he got he, dude, dude. He got sick. He was, I think, he was out of shape. Not out of shape. That's not fair. He was not in the condition he should have been in because he missed three or four days of practice. Big dude eating and eating and eating and not <laughs> working out. Not good, right? I just wanted on the record that I actually cannot relate. I have never 
puked from running oh, or conditioning. I swear oh, on everything I, I have. Oh, I did. Oh, I did. Oh, my I, word, I did. I've never understood that why people puke just because that's not the reaction my body has. But yeah. it was also pointed out to me one time when I brought that up. Someone told me, maybe you've never actually ran hard enough in your life for it to happen. Good call. Which I thought was a pretty good point. I was like, you know what? You might have me there. I don't know if I, I've done that. So, dude, Dude, my favorite story in this regard is I walked on to play baseball in Kentucky. And I had a really good couple of first two days and the coaches liked me and they were talking about me. And I'm like, okay, I may have a chance to make this. I'm no good. I'm a little guy who's no good, but I'm thinking, okay. So the first day they made us run 10, 1600 yard sprints. I'm sorry, 10 hundred yard sprints rather. We ran it. At the end of it, I puked. The next day I have a good day. We played an inter-squad game. I get a base hit against a guy who pitched in the major leagues, Jeff Parrott. And I stole second base and then I stole third base. I'm thinking, damn, this is, I, I, I think I'm going to make the team. After practice, we ran a bunch of mile runs. And I remember at the end of the mile run, I puked. I mean, I puked. I couldn't puke any longer. And the assistant coach, John Butler, came up and goes, son, we like you, but you're not in very good shape, are you? I go, no, sir, I'm not. At the time, I, I, weigh, I weigh 190 pounds right now. I weighed about 150 then. And I still couldn't handle it. And I said, Coach Butler, I'm sorry. I said, I should have been in better shape. I said, if you trust me, I'll be in better shape if you keep me. He goes, we'll see. And guess what happened? They cut you. They didn't keep me. <laughs> but well, I I mean, so I, I can empathize with anybody that when you get to that point in sick, I get it, man. Yeah, I don't recall Rudy puking during his uh, right, tryout. Right, right, good call. To make Notre Dame, you know. I think maybe you should have gotten yourself into a little bit better shape there if, if you really planned on making the team. I'm going to just and, say And that. it was it was on a whim because it was almost like, uh, I'll try this. Yeah, sure, I'm, I am I can hit the baseball, and I'm a good player, and I don't have a great arm, but I know how to play the game. And I, I was. I was great until the fact I had to run, and they went, yeah, that's a differentiator. Have a good day, son. Walk out the door. Have a good day. Well, there you go. So – Bengals win. Skinny got cut. I did. Six point underdogs next week. What do you think about next week? Yay or nay? You go with the six or no? I, I can't believe it's only six. I think there's going to be a lot of money coming in on the Ravens, and I, I completely understand that. I do too. I, I'm, I'm anxious to see what the Bengals can do. I think it's going to be a good game. I think they're capable of, of competing here. It's It's been a while since you've had games that feel like big games within the division. Right, right. This is that. I mean, this is that for the Bengals. So I'm excited about it, but I don't feel good about them covering the the six. I'll say that. Yeah, I'm I'm noting you. I will say this team is four and two, and the two losses are by how much points? (laughs) I mean, if they would just take the hand-wrapped gift that the Packers tried to give them. Yep. We're talking about a five and one Zach Taylor yep. team. Yep. So. With a, with a, with a crazy goofy, bad loss to, to Chicago, which happens to every team in this league. Right. Right. A lot more positives to look at right now. If you're in Cincinnati no as a Bengals fan, the negatives, that's for sure. No question. All right, Rick. Appreciate it as always uh, for Rick Boring. I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us. It's been the skinny podcast, the Bengals post game edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of prime Lending.